All right, so welcome back to the Millennial Podcast. Uh, I am Shane Hollers. We also have Hunter Nedlin here with us. Um, this is our second episode, and this this time we're going to be bringing in a school teacher, and his name is Joe Philippi. He's in the Midwest. Uh, you, what is your full name, Joe? Is it Joe or Joseph? Uh, <laughs> uh, we're just going to go with Joe. We're just going to live with we're it. We're just going with Joe. That works. Um, his Facebook always throws me off with that reason, so because it's different yeah. as well. But uh, Joe contacted us. He he made a small comment on how he is on the older side of the millennials, uh, not even identifying as a millennial. You said you identify as a Gen X. Yes, yes. Uh, I blame the millennials. Uh, they let me choose my gender or my fluidity, so I'm just going to choose what generation I live in. That was works. Born in. So. so and you were saying um, to us when we were kind of getting ready for this that you believe part of it has to do with the Midwest? Yes, very much so. Uh, so the Midwest is behind the times all the time. So if uh, you lived in the big city somewhere, you'd be like, oh, scrunchies are in or whatever. And, scrunchies? Uh, scrunchies, right? They're making a comeback. Apparently they are. I don't know. They are in Nebraska. And um, with my daughters. And... Uh, it, it might be six year, six months to a couple of years before it catches on somewhere else. So, um, you know, we were always behind the times when you get, when you, you city folk got electricity, we had to wait a little while, plumbing, all that <laughs> stuff. Same thing happens generations. So, um, yeah, I consider myself a very late uh, Gen Xer. Uh, so you're saying... called a Gen Y. So you're saying because you lived in the Midwest and the Midwest is sort of timeline wise behind the rest of the world, you yes. have just barely missed that cutoff point for like yes. six months of being a millennial. Yes. So uh, besides that, millennials always seem to have such a bad connotation to it. They do. <laughs> I agree. People, and I think that's a misconception. Most people don't know where the generation is. A lot of them are actually from the 80s. Um, you know, and it only goes up to 95, but people don't acknowledge that most of the, the millennials are in their thirties at this point. So, um, my, my students, uh, just the other, the other day before this whole, uh, thing, uh, called me a boomer. And I said, (laughs) your grandparents are boomers and my parents are boomers. So you really need to crack a book. So it'd be cool. I get you. I mean, it makes sense because when I moved to uh, Kansas, one of the first things I did with hanging out with Hunter was that uh, Guitar Hero, I had had it for a year already. And I had kind of played through it and been done playing it. And then when I, I got to Oberlin, Kansas, out of nowhere, it was popular there. Right. To the point where it was like it was, religious cultish. Yeah, it was it was weird. It was weird popular. Well, so, so how I always look at how to a millennial is someone that grew up with a certain level of technology. Mm-hmm. So um, being from the Midwest, where I, I really wasn't joking about the whole water and electricity thing. We were some of the last people to get full-on internet, um, especially high-speed, anything like that. I lived out, in the, I, I lived in a very, very small town. And where were um, you in? Where did you grow up then? Here in Bruning, Nebraska. Bruning, Nebraska. Okay. Which is. It uh, doesn't really matter. Southeast Nebraska. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to find it on a map, folks. There's only about 290 people. Um, but I remember when 
you know, we got internet and it was amazing, you know, all 56K. Um, so, yeah, yeah, do you see why the kids call me Boomer now? It makes sense. Oh, I got you. Right? Like, listen to you giggle. Like, you're like 56K. I was born with a modem. We remember. I remember dial up. Yeah. It's, well, the, yeah. My first computer had a green screen and the floppy disks were the size of my head. I no, you floppies. No. no, I can. I, there was pictures of me. Turn it, we had a printer where you had to rip off the edges of the, the pages. Oh, man. Because, were you rich? Did you have one in your house? No, we. Uh, this was like 2000 something. Everyone else already had Windows XP. Because um, it was for middle school, they changed it. My my grade when I went to seventh grade was the first time they said you have to print it out on a computer, and a lot of us didn't have access to that. Right. Yet. And they're like, my parents are like, what do you mean we have to use a computer? We don't own a computer. And I'm like, it's just what they said. Now I can't use, you know, I can't write it out on hand anymore. Um, so first they almost bought us a typewriter, like honest to God typewriter. <laughs> And I'm like, that's not going to work. So then my grandma had an old um, PC that my grandpa used before he passed away. It was like a green screen. Didn't really have word processor, but it let you type and print. Then right. it would print that's, on that's what I like said. Yeah. So. Yeah. You, probably, you had probably an Apple II or something like that. I was going to say, it sounds like an old Apple. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was blocky. We only had it for a couple of years. Eventually, um, the other grandma gifted us a PC. It was like, I think it was a windows xp or something and but it was still leagues ahead suddenly you know we can play games at home or something and whatnot so yeah my dad had a small had a small business or has a small business and uh part of it he needed um internet connection and um so we had it in our house and i was one of two people in our school that had internet and what year was that uh let's see mid 90s Okay. So, I mean, we were we were ahead of the curve. And how old uh, were you? I, I was had to be middle school, older or early high school, and we got. Um, uh, I had a whole gig of memory on my computer, and I specifically remember telling people, "There's no way I will ever be able to fill an entire <laughs> gig of memory." Are you kidding me? <laughs> Games were like twenty, like in the kilobytes, man. Yep. <laughs> like, you had to swap discs out because they were so big. And I was like, a gig? That's unbelievable. Never gonna happen. And here we are. That's <laughs> right. Now we have Terra's. No biggie. Yeah. It's only a thousand times larger. But yeah. And I guess that leads into uh, one thing. You, you and Hunter actually both have something in common where you guys have been working on um, trying to take your hobby. And move it into something that's um, almost like a side job or something else. You work on uh, developing some board games, and then even yesterday you came up with an idea for one. I know Hunter does as well. Um, one of the things when we we're talking about getting this ready is following your passion or a hobby as mm -hmm. opposed to your everyday work. How do you kind of like when you get the itch to go do something? Do you just go do it? How do do you ever feel like you don't have enough time to go after something or? Um. I'm generally just a, a creative person. Doesn't always mean it's going to turn out great, but uh, generally I just really enjoy. I keep a lot of. Um, is your your plug for somebody out there? Um, they're called Moleskin. Have you ever seen mm -hmm. those in Target? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, 
they are all over my house and work. And um, you can buy the small ones and I carry them in my pocket almost all the time. And I just start writing ideas down, put a little piece of something here, a little something there. Um, so I can always do that. Um, if the bug really bites me, you know, so everyone out there, I'm a shop teacher. I don't know if you said that, you said a teacher. Um, yep, so you so work at a shop and you're a coach yeah. as well. Yes, coach cross country and track. Um, I've been doing that for a long time. I also have a, um, I have a associate's degree in electromechanical technology, which I says is a degree to fix anything. That's basically <laughs> what that does. Um, and so I can and do sometimes just build random things. Um, and I have access through work to do some of those things. Okay. So when you talk about the ideas that you're jotting in your notebooks, are mm -hmm. those specifically board game related or are they all over the place? They are absolutely all over the place. Um, I, I have one of my moleskins in front of me here. Um, but so it starts with, what's my first page of this book? I don't even know. Um, it's about who's going to come out for cross country. The next page is measurements for a, um, I was redesigning my classroom and I took down the whiteboards and put uh, plexiglass on the walls of my classroom so that the kids can write on them. And I covered the desks in plexiglass, the kids were kind of dry erase. So they all have markers and they can just, so that's how I give quizzes is like, write the answer down, just look around the classroom, give it a, a yes or a no. Um, the next page is about losing weight. Uh, the next page is about um, a board game. The next one's about ordering books for work, t-shirt sizes. Yeah, it is pretty much whatever I, um, feel like writing down in that moment. So, um, yeah, uh, I watched it. I spent a lot of time, uh, I don't know. I, I like to say bettering myself, but really it's just watching a lot of YouTube. Um, but that time is usually spent searching for something, um, looking at what somebody else is doing. Uh, I spent a lot of time on uh, BGG looking at different board games, seeing if that idea has been used before. Um, so what, did, like what is BGG, just real quick? Uh, board Game Geek. I will say, though, like, it, it seems, because I, I do the same thing where I watch a video or listen to a podcast or something, and I will write it down on a piece of paper, even mm -hmm. when I'm using my computer to watch the video, and it's, it's more efficient to use a, a note-keeping app or something um like one note or something on my computer to have it all stored in one place instead i have notebooks and journals all over with you know years of stuff scribbled in them well, I think... writing is writing is a much more preferred method um the studies after studies have shown that when you write it you're more likely to remember it than if mm -hmm. you type it do you feel though um this is for both of you guys in a way because you're both teachers do you feel that that's moving away? Because I, I think that for us, and we always refer to it as the nostalgia generation, we remember when we had to write, but now a lot of these people, that's never a first. It's honestly, 
the typing and computers come before it. And I think that it also is going to change their retention, all kinds of things. Um, at least from an educational standpoint, um, I've, 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 I use computers in my classroom uh, to teach drafting. I do some robotics stuff. There's a lot of computer that goes into here, but um, they try to use technology to the point where, I'm trying to use my words right here, where the student is taught what they would be using in the workplace. Um, okay. You know, we are essentially the first step or a stepping stone towards a career. Um, if you've ever um, had the joy, what was his name? Uh, Sir Ken, uh, Ken Richards, if you've ever, is that right? Richards? Uh, Hunter, do you recall that guy? Um. A motivational, uh, he is um, a knight now in the British whatever, but he um, does studies on uh, education. And I thought of Richard's, uh, he does a wonderful TED talk and if you've ever watched um, RSA Animate on YouTube, I highly recommend. Um, but he talks about like the process of a school was designed during the industrial revolution where we need to educate workers. So, the process of a school is built with the end goal of making a worker. Okay. And if a worker is going to use computers, then we need to make sure we teach them that. If people are going to have to write, write extensively, we need to make sure we're teaching that. I would say less work is being done at writing for at least a significant amount of writing. You may write some notes. You may write um, very little within your day-to-day -day work, but you're going to spend more of your time typing. So I think there is a good and a bad. Like I said, retention I think is better when you write with your with pen and paper, pencil and paper, um, versus typing it. But from a workplace perspective, I think uh, it's better to use um, that technology. So uh, what level do you teach at again? I teach uh, high school. Okay. And, I do, and I do teach a little middle school. Does your high school have a one-to-one -one laptop to student ratio? Yes, and I dislike that very much. Okay, so why is that going back to what you were just talking about that you dislike that, or are there other reasons? Um, when kids come into computers, the first time they use something digital is for what we get to play it's for yeah it's for entertainment so now you're handed a computer to yourself and say you can't entertain yourself with it and um and it has to be cheap enough for it to go to everybody i, I teach in a small school um so you, you can't have good technology you can't have a really nice because you want to limit what a kid can do so that they're not using it for entertainment and also keep it cheap enough. 
Um, so like for my, my self, we do CAD work, right? Uh, which is mm -hmm. computer-aided drafting um, through Autodesk. Um, and those programs are, we're talking about gigabytes, um, Inventor, Autodesk Inventor's 20 gigs. And it mm -hmm. takes a high-end processor. So I have to have separate computers just so they can use that technology within their class, within my classroom, because their take their computers they move take around are basically a worse version of a phone. Huh. Okay, so you're just... you're feeling that the one to one student to laptop ratio is like an ineffective half measure where they yeah. should just you know give them a good computer and give them the freedom to maybe entertain themselves because it's good, but also have a better tool for education? Correct, correct. You're absolutely, absolutely correct. I, you, I think you would get more, if you want a kid to be creative and stuff like that, um, give them those tools. Don't give them a word processor and uh, a Google search, which is a tech, which is what a Chromebook is, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I would rather see them have something that they could, that we could give them powerful software that they could make and do something significant with um, than the other way. And, and kids, um, if you have an experience of one-to-one, -one, not every kid's gonna take care of it. So they have to be cheap. They have to be almost disposable. I was just in our tech guy's office today and he had computers that were split in half. You know, hmm. you know, I was like, what happened to that? Oh, this kid's brother sat on it. You know, well, I don't want to give a kid that. So I, I like to keep the technology in the room where it can be controlled and but still given to a kid um, to push themselves. So I, I just think I think overall it generally tends to me to be a waste of money. Uh, money we could put towards something better. I, I don't have a kid yet in school or anything, so these are all in, important things for me to kind of listen to and hear. And you know, and do you feel like a lot of these kids then, like they have that that computer at school, and then they basically just never use it at home, or do you have to put your reports on that computer directly? Or it's it's your source to print stuff. A lot of education anymore, particularly I see a lot of it in math. The last few different jobs I've had. Um, the math department really uses the computer a lot. Uh, it saves on giving out worksheets. I know here we don't have math books. That it's all online coming coming to the kids. They can they have the book, but they can open open it um, anywhere. And they do IXLs. You guys ever heard of those? I have not. Um, mm -hmm. It's very popular, at least in the state of Nebraska. Um, I, my daughters love them, uh, some other kids, not so much. Um, but so basically you can log in right now, start your own. If you have a kid at home, uh, you sign up, I think it's just literally IXL.com and you can start, I think it's math, math is what we use it for, but I know there is reading, um, and writing on there as well, but basically it has all the core concepts of whatever you need, and then it gives you a set of um, questions. And for every question you get right, you get so many points. And if you get one wrong, it drops you so many points. And what the teacher does is says, okay, you have to get to 
score. It stops at 100, like percentage. You have to get a score of 90 on it. So you have to get X number of questions right and less wrong. And then the teacher can see that on their computer and say, okay, you got an A on that daily assignment. So it's a great practice tool um, that the, kid, the kids can use. Um, I know my kiddos like to kind of see if they can get to 100. Um, you know, they, they like to see the score changing. Uh, you know, they're, they're younger. I've got, I've got a, a seven and 11 year old, so they're easier. But with your high schoolers, they hate it because they feel like they get really close and they miss one. And then it's like, oh, I got to get two more right now to make up for the one I missed. Um, and, but, and their math, if you're taking a calculus, if you're taking an advanced algebra, you don't get to come up with the answers immediately. There's more background to get the correct answer. So they don't Take care time. That. Yeah. So. But it's almost like a video game at that point. It's, yeah. you know, it's like uh, on Magic Arena, where if you lose one game, you go down one. If you to on certain ranks or so forth mm -hmm. so i can understand a certain form of frustration with turning math almost into a a game reward system of you're losing the game more because i mean i always hated math but right. I, I i turned it in and afterwards i'd be like oh, i got a 70 that sucks but if i could see in front of me how fast i'm failing directly in front <laughs> i can understand like does that make sense so like yeah. I, I would see oh god i i got this wrong i can't believe how bad I'm doing at this. Yeah, and it, there's a lot of instant gratification. My, my kids do well in school. I, I can, I'm allowed to be proud. You know, for them, it's how fast can they get to 100? Because for them, it's, it's easy or easier than for some other kids. It does explain to you when you like, typed in three, it would literally show you step-by-step step how to gotten the correct answers. Um, okay. So you, you can learn mistakes. Do you think this will be a tool that is important coming forth? Because we'll, we'll kind of swing into some current events, but a lot of people are having to take care of their kids at home more right now. And they're suggesting people do more homeschooling or uh, self-teaching is another term I've seen thrown around, uh, which to me is still just homeschooling. I don't know what the difference is. Right, right, right. <laughs> don't uh, homeschool them, self-teach them. Um, <laughs> And it's because, you know, like, at least Hunter, is. what is the current thing with your guys' school there in Nebraska, um, or South so Dakota? We, we've been off for last week, and we're off this week, and they're talking about moving to online-only classes starting next week, but I don't know what that means necessarily for my third grader. I understand better how that works for high schoolers, but... Um, yeah, so it's sort of unclear at this point in time what that means for, for my son. If we're going to go down this path, I, I'm going to put a little piece out in front. Okay. Okay, this is, this is my disclaimer um, on this, in that nobody, this is unprecedented, say that many times over, a lot of teachers currently are just really looking for somebody to say, this is the black and white lines, then we can just go with it. Everything's so gray right now mm -hmm. and we're in the same boat that you is that state said. to state or district to district you're saying uh like state, nationwide federally i i really don't care i just to say this is the way it's going to be and and go because when you're trying to create something and you have no rails if you have if you have no focus point then nothing gets accomplished everything's just a scatter shot so you know I, we're, we're basically right now we're shooting shotguns at a target that doesn't exist 
and hoping we hit it with but someone to come in and be like okay here's the target we can really hone it in and really say what what to do but no one knows what that target is no one knows where it is there's a lot a lot a lot a lot of layers to the problem it's not as simple as just pointing i like to try to break things down so that it feels like that's the easy way to look at it if we take it to that you say that people are people are dumb but a person is smart right okay um, right you guys understand understand the phrase mm-hmm. when you're talking about with a kid one-on-one that person is smart intelligent can do the work when you stare at 20 to 30 to now thousands of of kids and say do this it's it's this is not gonna not gonna fly we're having you said you don't know what's gonna happen with your your uh, third grader i know at least in the state of nebraska <clears throat> right now it's state by state which is how education really is put out everybody's state's a mm-hmm. little different um, we haven't been we don't know we we know that we might go to online online next week this week we're on break next week online but the state hasn't told us whether or not they're going to count any of the online things we do oh as hours or days as educational moments so they're going to give us credit for the hours but they may not give the students credit for the work so what we've been told is that we can only do enrichment that for for now so in case you want to know the difference enrichment is just retaking a previous idea and just growing on it so no new materials there's talk that they are just going to say you know what all of the schooling is perfectly fine we're just going to end all grades assessments at x date and um, everything you do from now till may 20th is more of a holding pattern than it is a uh, improvement and a lot of that has to do with the needs of certain individuals within every school every school has some students with unique needs um, called a special needs um, area. Um, they have individual education plans, often called the IEPs. They may have a SAT program where we're trying to help kids that don't qualify for an IEP but still need some assistance, particularly in your lower elementary space, where if a kid isn't learning your basics in reading, writing, math they need a lot more scaffolding going on over them for them to be successful later in life and trying to prove that placing that student in front of a computer is meeting those needs is very very difficult the other aspect of it is from an old fuddy-duddy perspective let's say for a minute that this is very very successful okay Let's say that we find out that all these kids learned amazing. Why do we need to come back to school? Hmm. But is there any sort of, I guess to do a, a, a brief segue, I, I mean, both of you know this, but I had to graduate high school twice. <laughs> and the first right. time I did it, my senior year, I did 90% of that online because uh, the school I was at told me, you're not going to graduate this year if you don't just drop out. It was something that had to do with health. I was basically I missed two months worth of school from health reasons. Mm-hmm. 
So then I, I did online and I blazed through that extremely fast. I think I did almost all of it in a week and there was no punishment in getting something wrong as in if I got it wrong, I like, okay, cool, retake the test. And then, mm -hmm. okay, I got 80%, cool, it passed now. I didn't really learn it. So would it be in testing or like, is there any way to know like these kids don't just look up these other answers? Is there, I mean, cause it, I, I understand what you're saying, but it, it's, and again, it's all unprecedented, but it's crazy to think they would just say, we don't need to go back to school. Just well, do it all I mean, online. I don't think they're going to say that. I'm just, sure. I'm just kind of paraphrasing some things you, you hear, you know, people talking about within the educational community about giving up uh, when we're doing this, we're giving up the brick and mortar, yeah. you know, that, um, that aspect. We have students currently who are on, we call it credit recovery. Um, that's what you were doing. And um, so if you fail the class, obviously we don't have, you know, three science teachers and five math teachers so that we can just fit everyone's schedule. If you fail one of those core classes, you have to take credit recovery where you are taking that online, we call Odysseyware. And okay. um, they have X number of assignments. It, I, it's probably exactly what you did to 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 do those things, but you're still in the physical building. You're still doing um, the work at home. I know we've had uh, a student that was very sick that had to do a lot of credit recovery via their computer. I don't know if there's any data out there on kids who do credit recovery, how they do on entrance exams um, when they get how do they do in post-secondary situations? What is what is the, in the long run, do those people have successful careers? Do they have fields that they're interested in? Those, those are things I just don't know. And I think we're gonna end up with a lot of amazing data from this kind of this scenario, where we are asking kids to supplement their education for a period of time. We'll be able to track that group of kids through their times, you know, the kindergartners here for the next 12 years, you know, your juniors, your sophomores, they'll be taking the ACT in the next couple of years. We'll be able to track if that, if that does help or hurt. And it might, it might set some precedents about what, what education is um, versus what schooling is. Because if you, if you don't know the distinction, um, when I talk about like homeschooling versus um, going to school, going to school isn't so much about the education receiving at 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 that place but about the social um, norms that you learn the understanding about i go back to work a lot i do i am a shop teacher so typically i'm working in the trades about doing something for eight hours at a time so like doing, soft skills right 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 yes exactly that that you're you're talking about so you know, there's a lot. There's just a lot. So much. Well, there already have uh, some studies been popping up just since the COVID outbreak and people staying at home and working that uh, depression is on the rise with people because they're not maintaining their normal schedules. Like if you work from home, like when I, I say I'm going to work on the stream or anything today, I get up, I shower, I brush, I shave, I put on clothes as if I was going to an office. And then I sit down and work. And I feel a lot of people are waking up and doing pajama pants and eating cold, like pop tarts <laughs> and saying, I guess I should do something. And, and I mean, I wonder, there's a lot to it. All of this is, is going to bring 
a lot of data, like you said, across everything with mental health, schooling, um, the economy. It's, it's we're, a we're big, social animals. Yeah, we we need a certain amount of social social interaction. Most of us do. Uh, some of us need more than others, and a lot of the big the biggest worry. A lot of schools, at least here in Nebraska, are doing a great job of feeding kids. I know that was one of the very first things that was brought up immediately when they said, "Hey, we're going to um, you know be closing schools or going on break." I hate the word closing school, but going on a break or something like that. And there are there is more kids than you can possibly imagine that don't get three meals a day, two meals a day, that come in and eat breakfast at school, that get a full lunch with vegetables, fruits, milk, and a protein um, every day, whether they like the food or not. Not what I'm saying. It is getting the daily nutrients that they need. As a state, we put that at the front. We said, we got to make sure that those kids are maintaining their nutrition first, and then we'll worry about the second part of it. So I, I've been really proud of that. I assume that most states, but I don't know. It's the same here in South Dakota. It was one of the first things they addressed. They they said, so we're shutting down for these two weeks, but you can still come by the school and, and you know, maintaining social distance and everything, but pick up food, bring it home, bring a backpack, all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, you know, so it's it's those things, uh, much like not every student's school is about learning math and reading. Some kids, part of their schooling is almost physical therapy, voice. If you have a stutter or something like that, you spend time with a speech uh, therapist, you spend time with, with those special people that are going to help you later in life we can't provide that or, or we can't provide as over well the internet. over the internet. Um, you know, we have a space for severe and profound students that um, they work on balance. They work on, you know, shapes and, and things like that. And how can we take that to someone's home when we're not supposed to be moving around and, and working with everyone? So, and those are also kids that tend to have your other health risks. So they're they're people they're the kids that need more social distancing than than um, some of the other kids. So it's just a very very difficult situation. It is something that I think everyone is handling differently. Of course, I mean going into this uh, talk, we knew it was going to come up regardless because it's almost full saturation in everything right now. Whether it's social media news, meeting someone on the street, you know. Um, I worked four hours yesterday and every person that came by brought it up as, you know, not, it, it's, it's like when you're in Christmas time and you say happy holidays and the other person is just like, Merry <laughs> Christmas. you mean? I'm like, whoa, whoa, I was just trying to say, you know, yeah. I didn't want to get anything anywhere. It's, it's constantly at the forefront of people's brains. To me, it was an interesting thing looking that behind grocery sales right now, and I mentioned this briefly to you earlier, the number one selling thing right now is actually firearms in the country, which is crazy to me that that's people's response is things are bad. I need to go buy this right now because it's such a big, at least, at least I feel like as a rational thinker that we're still very far from put on our spiked armor, our Mad Max music and start yep. looting. 
Um, it feels like an escalation, right? <laughs> Some people, yeah. And it, it seems like if we're at two o'clock, that'd be like midnight over there. You know, like it's a pretty far away on the, the, the clock to me to see we're at the point where people are going out and, you know, looting. Um, the only time I've ever really seen that or dealt with it was knowing people who have been through riots. But riots are a whole different thing completely. And I guess getting into all of this was something that we, we had wanted to talk and uh, bring on as well because it it brings up the point of I don't mind when people have guns. Of course, I support the second. I don't like when people, uneducated people or people who don't understand what they're purchasing have them. That's what worries me the most. Uh, someone who's saying, I'm going to go in, I'm going to buy this these two shotguns because I can. And then they bring them home. And now you've given it access to this whole new array of kids who are in high school or middle school who are also going to have probably some form of like social PTSD or something through this and then lead them into now they have access to more things. I mean, there is somewhere that I was reading that said we have sold over 1.5 million guns in the last week in mm -hmm. the U.S. Brand new guns into households, which is, you know, again, I support adults and smart people who are educated and knowing what they do, owning these things. Um, what is your take or both of you way um, on this whole situation that that's the number one thing selling after grocery? Uh, this, this one's <clears throat> fairly easy to me. I'll share my background, a little background later. What I find unique about the, a lot of people that, that, that buy guns, I have friends that are, that are big into the head. My Facebook gets filled with all sorts of gun related things, but it, to what you're saying is people hoard guns. There's there's more guns in the United States than there are people, right? We all understand that. But they're owned by a certain percentage of the of them. Um, at my time at a previous school, it was a very, very unique community that was that was big, 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 big into hunting. And I recall having a student and um, it was his 17th birthday. I said, what are you going to get? And he said, I'm going to get another gun. And I said, well, how many guns do you have? And he goes, well, I get one or two guns every Christmas and birthday. And he says, I probably have 20 plus guns. And he was one of four boys. And he goes, we all get a gun for Christmas or ammo or something gun related. Uh, to the thing, I always I always joke with the kids there. I was like, this is where we go for the zombie apocalypse. You guys got this under control. Um, and I remember those people when, when they were felt politically attacked, when, when one side of the aisle or the other goes into office or is up for an election, they buy more guns, um, because they feel like they don't have them or taken away. Their access to that gun is going to be taken away. I would be, I, I would be uh, shocked to find out how many new um, gun owners are coming out of this as much as people who already have guns are making sure they have right guns or the right ammunition or the or something more to um, to think. I, I, actually, I looked at it about this um, because I knew what you wanted to chat about this a little bit and you're you're right you know they're selling um the guy said he, he sells a week's worth of guns a day he said um, most people are buying rifles 
right now. So it's really interesting. It's, it's, it's interesting, but I still think it is a very polarized group of people that are purchasing guns. And when they feel that um, they may be attacked, purchase more um, guns. I think the, the quote from the article was people are weak people know that a gun makes them strong. So they need to make sure they have one. And, and I thought that was really interesting. No, it, that is. So your your basic idea is that this is a group of return buyers coming to get more guns, more ammo, more related paraphernalia, as opposed to, you know, first-time buyers seeing the situation in the country and in the world and being like, oh, now it's time to buy a gun. Yeah, I I, I truly believe that's that's what's going on. I, I would like to. You know, I, I'd like to see some more some more data. You you kind of said it yourself, and you're like, I feel like I'm a reasonable person. Um, if you think that someone who would be unreasonable, well, I don't want to say it that way, because <laughs> uh, clearly that's not ha- that's not what I'm I'm trying to get at. You know, uh, you don't think you need you need one right now. It doesn't mean you you're against it. I I'll, I agree. I'm not. I'm not a, a, against guns, uh, gun hunting. I, I uh, thoroughly enjoy that. I, every year the, when the students get done hunting, I get a little bit of deer jerky or turkey or pheasant, goose, whatever. Um, and it, it, it's wonderful. I think it's a, it's a part of our culture. But panic buying a gun, that just doesn't seem like a, a great plan all around. I Teach feel like people skip steps when they panic by anything. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I'm worried about this next year in a lot of things. Um, we already know we have a, a shooting problem in this country. And yeah. adding more onto the market makes me nervous for that reason of maybe the father didn't put the ammo away or maybe he kept it loaded or maybe there's stuff like that. And I think that people don't know how to, how to handle a crisis right now anyways. Mm-hmm. The last crisis, I suppose, that we went through would have been 2008, which was very economic based and was more of a bailout. Before that, it would probably been 9/11. Right, I would, I would say 9/11 affected people. Yep, and 9/11 actually saw a huge uptick in gun sales as well. But the 2008 one didn't for some weird reason. It wasn't a huge uptick because people didn't think that. Oh my God, I'm going to run out of supplies. <laughs> you know. So I guess that that's my my concern about that. And I know you said you you had a past in that as well. Yeah. Um, so. Part of the reason talking about this so um here's my story hunter i don't know if you've heard this i have not i've, I've um, briefly been introduced to the idea um about for this podcast but i actually don't know the story oh man how many years now been? i think it's nine years now because we it'll be 10 next year june 6th so it's our first day back from winter break right and part of this story involves the fact that in some bigger schools, teachers, if you're on block scheduling, do you guys do block scheduling go to where you're at? Uh, we are actually just switching to that this next year. Are you? I love block scheduling, personally, from what I teach. But part of block scheduling, you're as a teacher, you're contracted to so many hours. Well, block, and you're supposed to have a break, a plan period every day. And when you go to block scheduling, you only teach four, or there's only four periods in a day. So you would have 90 minutes of um, free time. And they said, well, that's too much. So 
what you do is half of that period you can do something else. So guided study was one of the things where you, you work with some other kids. Um, sometimes you had to do like hall duty um, where you're like a hall monitor during that time. I was stuck with what, the, what they called like lunch duty. And um, my job was to guard the door from the cafeteria so kids didn't like run out to their cars or, you know, do anything, be in parts of the school that they weren't during lunchtime. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Our cafeteria at that time was also right next to the main office front door. So you would walk in, you look to your left, there's the cafeteria. You would look straight ahead, there's the main offices. This is a big school. We had guards at um, the front door. I didn't use the word armed. We had guards, so they're, you know, um, they have a uniform and stuff. We had a police officer site and um, a young man who was fairly new to the school, um, whose father was a police officer. He had broken some rules over Chris showed up for his first day of school and he was suspended. He went home. Um, I'm not sure which weapon he got. I uh, Originally, I, from, from my memory, we're working on it, nine years of memory, that he went home and got his, his dad's pistol and um, came back to school, stopped and talked to the guard, said he wanted to discuss his suspension with the principal, let him in. He walked into the principal's office, put, I think it was seven to nine rounds into um, our assistant principal. She passed away. He then turned into the office. We had a big school, multiple principals. Uh, shot another one, uh, hit him in the spine, shot a secretary, shot a nurse, went to go turn it on the students and the opening area to the cafeteria. Um, something happened. We don't know if he ran out of bullets, if it malfunctioned, whatever. We, we, just, we just don't know um, what happened. Um, and from my perspective, I didn't hear, see anything, even though I was I don't know, probably 100 feet, if not less, from there. The, one of the other principals ran out and said, we are going into code red, which is a technical term for lockdown. All the doors lose their magnetic, they shut. I was the gatekeeper of the door, so I was grabbing kids, sending them any which way I could, and it's lunchtime. So it was me, one other teacher, the cooks, and 300 students in, a, in the back of the cafeteria where they cook the food, the kitchen. Um, and then they had plexiglass doors covering us. So the kids were in the freezers, underneath tables, oven, anything we could put a kid behind, we did. We didn't know anything. You, you know as well as, as anybody that cell phones are a problem in schools. The kids aren't supposed to have one. Teachers aren't supposed to have one. Who do you think follows the rules? The teacher. <laughs> so I didn't have my cell phone on me, but the kids had theirs. Um, so I had no way to get information. Basically, we just sat and as much silence as we could. The the young man who had brought the gun to school um, went outside, uh, drove his car a block away, and ended his own life. We don't know. Any, I didn't know any of that till afterwards. Spent uh, three to four hours 
with 300 kids who are very, very scared, very, very nervous, completely helpless. Uh, I'll never forget, I know the kid's name. I uh, a kid hopped up on the, they started to re get news, you know, how news is anyways, it's just coming as fast as they can get it. Kids are texting out things, they don't know anything. Um, that said that they, you know all the principals were dead. The kid was on the table dancing, say, I hope he killed them all. You know, what do you, what do, you do? I, I don't know. I still don't know what, hmm. what I could have or, or would have done in that scenario. So what that led me to anyways is as someone who thinks hunting's a good thing and, and thinks that that really guns aren't aren't so much the problem and some of the people and, and stuff. I, I truly believe when the, they say, you know, we have a mental health issue, not a gun problem. Uh, I think I think we're you're really on the right track. But um, I I've always had a from there I always thought I, I there's got to be some kind of solution, something you know. There and after that you know that everyone's talking about putting armed guards out. We had a police officer. Um, the police officer did what he thought was best. Uh, he took cover. He did not engage the shooter. He um uh, and. As far as I knew, he retired immediately, you know, that he, he didn't go out there. So even the good guy with gun with a gun didn't be a good guy with a gun. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because uh, that's always the number one argument. Gun control is we need a good guy with a gun to fight the bad guy with a gun. But, of course, if you ever look that up as a comedy piece on YouTube, there's a wonderful piece about that. A wonderful little comedy deal where the guy's in a coffee shop. Anyone ever seen that? I haven't. Guy, I'll have to look it up. Yeah, the I guy bumps you. So is it the Saturday Night Live skit? I don't know if it's Saturday Night Live. The guy bumps the guy in front of him, and the guy says, "What's your problem?" And he pulls a gun, and the guy the guy says, "I'm the good guy with the gun." And the other guy pulls his gun and goes, "No, I'm the good guy. You were trying to assault me." So then somebody else pulls a gun. Says, I'm the good guy stopping you two guys. Yeah, good guy. And at at the end, um, the cops show up and they just arrest the black guy drinking coffee. And oh no, that yeah. sounds like a that sounds like a YouTube skit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is, it is. But everyone's got a gun, and everyone the other guy, the bad guy, the other guy with a gun is the good guy with a gun. But I digress. Um, I I do think. Well, go ahead. I was just gonna say I think that you're 100 percent right on all of it. Uh, nail on the head. My point in bringing up the sales of the like 1.5 million being put out isn't so much saying again that the guns are the issue. It's be aware of the people around you and an extra vigilant sort of sense of not being like overbearing. But if you see someone's off or someone's not doing okay in this time, or especially over the next couple of years where this is going to be fresh in people's heads, where you see people are going to be buying extra TP for the next couple of years just because they remember <laughs> this situation or mm -hmm. stocking their pantries more full than they really need to. Mm -hmm. um, be aware of those around you in your workplace and your children. And if the children say there's this kid getting bullied hard, just know that we did put a lot more into the community, I guess, is, is my concern mm -hmm. that now, if you know, he said he grabbed that from his father, there's yep. a lot more fathers that could have those available now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we hear 1.5 million guns sold. How many of those have a gun case? <laughs> you know? Right, right. Same um, and everything else. Yep. Yeah. It's, there's, there's stuff like that that 
and again, all of us here have hunted or support the second and everything. It's just be aware, I guess, of the mental health crisis that's going to go along with this in the coming years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll carry two two pieces onto that for you. So following the shooting, the uniqueness of it is you, you just don't know what to. It's very hard um, to understand why someone does things like that. It's also hard to come back to work the next day. Um, they gave us one day off. And that one day, they tore all the carpet out of the front of the building, painted area, removed everything that could have been part of it and sent us back on our way. They did bring in some counseling. Um, being the adult male that I am, I chose not to get counseling. Terrible mistake. If you ever part of something horrible, go get help. Therapy is good. It is good. Nothing unmanly about it and stuff. But a lot of kids did that also. They just did not seek help. They thought they were fine. In the time following that, that that whole semester, I have never seen so many fights in my life. I I broke up fight after fight in the hallways that entire semester. People are just angry and upset and they just didn't know how to deal with it. So every little thing because they were so full of that emotion, right? It just spilled out wherever it was over the top. Anything over the top. I I, I had two girls fight in front of my room. They tore each other's earrings out. It was oh. the, the floor was slippery with blood. It was awful. It was just it was easily the hardest semester of teaching I've ever I've ever had to do. Um, and that was my fifth year teaching. It wasn't like I was completely brand new, but um, the PTSD of it hit people differently than I thought they would. The second thing is I have one set of grandparents that are much, much older than my other set. So uh, they both have passed, passed away in their 90s, but they um, were depression, came from the depression. Um, and I think that would be our best. If we, were, if we were to look at how to put things back together after this, I would say we should look to depression era more than anything else but they lived on farms my grandmother had chickens she ate nothing but chickens for years and to the day she died she ate no chicken she had had enough chicken my dad doesn't even eat eggs because he didn't he wasn't raised on on any poultry because of the uh, the Great Depression, how that, how much that shaped his mom or my grandmother, and I can see if this lasts a long period of time, kind of what you were saying, we're going to see people coming out of this traumatized, yeah, keeping a little more stuff around, you know, making sure they they're prepared for a month of of isolation instead of. Um, something along that line. Yeah, you're right. Nobody, I don't, there's going to be that are just going to keep 20 rolls of toilet paper for the rest of their lives. And they probably couldn't even tell you why. Yeah. I, after this, I probably won't ever use toilet paper again. <laughs> just going to switch over to the bidet. <laughs> after, after being overexposed. Yeah, it's it's going to be a backyard situation for myself. <laughs> I'm going to start growing a was that weed the elephant weed you know those big, oh, yeah. big leaves the yeah, soft, the soft. You know, velvet 
velvet weed. I'm gonna just grow a bunch of that out back. It'll be fine. Everything will be fine. Well, it, it is winding down. Um, I really do appreciate that story. We have a couple quick questions for you to kind of lighten things up for the end. And of course, you know, if everything you enjoy this and stuff too, maybe we can have you on again at another time as well. You know, but me, we do have a kind of my own voice. <laughs> well, we have a couple of uh, quick ones to kind of uh, let other people grab an idea from you or enrich them and stuff. So the first one that we usually ask is if you had to suggest one book to someone listening, what would be the one book that you suggest to them? I'm, I'm going to change my normal answer. Okay. My normal answer is one of my favorite books is 1984, but this it's just not the good time to read that book. <laughs> uh, this is the best time to read that this book. Is a bad time to read that book. <laughs> Take that one, put that one somewhere else. Um, I'd say if I if I get a chance to sit down and read a book, um, I read a book called Once a Runner. Um, it's by John June. Um, I don't even know if you can still find another copy of the book. If you can find an original copy of that book, it's worth a tremendous amount of money. Um, side note, uh, it's written by John Parker, was a runner for the University of Florida in the 70s. And he wrote this book. It's fiction. And it is the greatest book about what it's like to be a runner uh, that's ever been written. And he sold it out of the back of his car. So those copies are, are very hard to come by. It was printed about a decade ago for the first time since, since then. Um, but if you get a chance, uh, if, you, if you ever did some running in your life, it's a truly inspiring story. And Hollywood has clearly missed the boat um, on that book. I'll have to check that one out. I've, I did some track, but that was about it. The, uh, the next question that we usually ask people is, what is a band? that you would suggest people have to look up? Ooh. Ooh. My Gen X or my millennial here? Um, <laughs> well, I tell you what, just because uh, the other day, Shane, um, I had you listen to uh, Boy Hits Car. Mm-hmm. Spend, spend some time, look it up. Boy Hits Car, very, very interesting band, not one that's, as far as, at least in the Midwest, that well-known from the 90s. So look up them. Okay. That was a, a good one as well. Then I, I enjoyed listening to them. So then we just have one more little question, essentially. It would be uh, a thought to dwell on for everyone listening. Like if you could have everyone think about the one thing when they leave this podcast, kind of like what would you like to leave them with? That was really deep, Shane. <laughs> like, That's what we're here let, for. Me, let me just go stand in the middle of the lake, you know, where it's deep. Um, there you go. Yeah, I'm full of crap like that. I'll put this out there. I coach, and one of the teams I coach, when I hand out their, their rule book, right, or their guidelines for a season, at the top of it, uh, it says, I don't care how fast you run, this is a team of good people. And all I want you guys to do is be nothing else. If we don't get any, I want you to be better people than you were when you joined the team. And I. Per, truly believe that if you can bring positive out to, to everybody, you'll get it back tenfold. I like that. For sure. You want to finish up then, Hunter? Well, I suppose we should wrap up. Um, thank you again, Joe, for joining us on the podcast. Uh, plenty of 
Excellent insight, excellent stories. We covered a fairly wide range of topics centering on education mostly. And again, yeah, thank you so much. Do you have any sort of social media that we do you'd like us to include in the show notes or anything you're working on that you'd like to share? I prefer to hide from the world uh, (laughs) until until that time that time comes uh, it's been great uh, this is something i truly enjoy doing and would love to be back on your show anytime yeah for sure of course uh, i'd be happy to have you i definitely think there'll be more topics that come up uh and we'll bring in and stuff again and we'll uh share this out there and yeah uh thanks again joe yeah no problem you guys have a good night yep you too you too so thank you for joining us. That was our second episode of the Millennius Podcast. Uh, Joe was a great help. We learned a lot of cool things. And uh, if you want some more information, the book that he suggested was Once a Runner by John L. Parker Jr. And the band was Boy Hits Car. And so uh, coming up in the next episode, we will be having a couple on who has done a lot of really interesting things one of which is running a punk rock venue out of the basement of their house so uh please look forward to that and thank you for listening goodbye